Welcome to another episode of the behind-the-scenes content for Wonder Woman Spirit of Truth, presented by Don't Sue Us, Please. Today we have a little bit of a different episode. Instead of our normal behind-the-scenes interview, you get a one-hour watch-along with Matthew Klein and John Petrie, the writers of Wonder Woman Spirit of Truth by Don't Sue Us, Please. They're watching Wonder Woman series 1975, season one, episode two. Wonder Woman meets Baroness Von Gunther. You can watch along on DC Universe, or if you have the DVD, feel free to watch along with them. You can also just listen to two friends chat about their love for Wonder Woman, as it is really enjoyable. As is the same with our previous interviews, this was recorded during the COVID-19 pandemic, meaning it's recorded remotely over Zoom, so the quality may not be pristine. Also, the unfortunate sounds of my neighbor's lawnmower can be heard occasionally in the background. So intermixed with our normal dialogue, you may hear the soothing sounds of suburbia. I apologize in advance. Anyways, the last thing before we get started, Don't Sue Us Please is proudly brought to you by listeners like you supporting us on Patreon. You can find us on Patreon at patreon.com forward slash the superhero podcast. You can also find us on all social media at at the superhero podcast. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another behind-the-scenes edition of Don't Sue Us, Please. My name is Matthew Klein. I'm here today with... John Petrie. Hello. Hello. We are the co-writers for Wonder Woman Spirit of Truth. And today, uh, we are bringing you guys a first. So, John and I are going to be doing a watch-along. In all of our time working on Wonder Woman together, in all of our fandoms, having worked in comic book shops and also uh, for publishers and our history um, with the property. I have actually never watched an episode of the Linda Carter series from beginning to end. Um, And I understand, John, that this is a mortal sin according to your religion. Every time I hear you say that, it's like a stone in my heart. Well, I'll, I'll say this. I don't know if it's better to have a stone in your heart than in your kidneys like I'm used to, but, but for that pain, I'm here to help you pass this stone, if you were. Um, so today, we are going to be watching an episode from the series. Now, we're doing this a little bit of different ways after some um, technical issues. Uh, I'm going to be watching on the DC Universe uh, online. John, how are you watching it today? I am watching on my DVD, season one, signed by Miss Linda Carter. Thank you really? very much. Oh, signed, yeah. signed by Diana Prince herself. So, um, backstory on this. Uh, yes, before we I start. I worked for Barnes & Noble for many, 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 many years. That is very um, true. Many, 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 many. Many, many. Um, actually, I think probably longer than Josh has been alive. Um, That's Josh Wilson, for those of you who don't know, our uh, our amazing sound designer and composer and just all-around fundikin who makes uh, John and I feel very old. And also, fun fact, 
I also worked at Barnes and Noble. <laughs> oh, and Josh from the heavens. Hello, Josh. Hi. So we're going to have to gossip about me and that later. We can do that later. That's a, that's a later time. <laughs> oh, I worked at um, one store, um, which is no longer there, up in Lincoln Center in New York City. And Linda Carter was releasing her first dig. And I begged them. I was like, please get Linda Carter here. Please get Linda Carter here. And then I transferred to another store and never heard anything about it. And then one day the community relations manager called me up. Hey, John, I had you on speakerphone. And I was like, okay. And I'm thinking like screwed up a payment issue for them somehow. She said, guess who's coming? Linda Carter. And I screamed in the middle of the store. Uh, and I was like, I'll get there as soon as I can. Can you save me a seat? She's like, absolutely. I got to meet Linda Carter. Um, I got my CD signed. And then I gave um, the community relations manager the um, slipcase. It's like, can you please have her sign this for me? It doesn't matter when it comes back. And she's like, don't worry about it. So two days later, they called me. They were like, it's here. Come pick it up. So yes, I have season one signed by Miss Linda Carter herself. And that was the first time I cried when I met Linda Carter. Um the first time. Well, I look forward to hearing about all the times as we go on this journey. <laughs> now, so we're going to be doing a bit of a watch along here. We're really excited if you guys can join us too, whether that's on DVD, whether it's on DC Universe Online or some other streaming service. We do not encourage pirating um, on Don't Sue Us, please. Um, artists need to get paid. So um, what we will do is we're going to have a little bit of a countdown. We're going to make sure we're at zero minutes, zero seconds in. And as you watch along with us, John and I are probably going to trade a few stories about our fandom. I'm going to ask a lot of questions being a newbie here. And uh, John, uh, I look forward to you being my Sherpa of all things, Linda Carter. I, I am here as your wonder Sherpa. Oh, beautiful. It beats the Sherpa woman. Um, <laughs> So, John, my friends of so many years, are you ready? I am always ready for Linda Carter. All right. So I am at zero minutes, zero seconds. Are you as well? I am. Okay. So do you want to do the countdown? Here we go. So wait, are we going to do three, two, one, then go? Are we going to do three, two, one, and then go on one? How do you want to do this? Um, let's do three, two, one, go. Okay, you got it, Murtaugh. Let's do it. All right, three, two, one, go. Right, so this was my most exciting hour of the week because we only got one hour of television a day. Did you really? Yeah. It so, sounds like a strict household, my friend. Well, I mean, we were, it wasn't like we worked around, we didn't work around it, but <laughs> I aimed this as my hour. I called the TV. Um, at the time, the show was on ABC for this episode. During the second episode, Oh, yes, Wonder this is the second episode. Wow, we failed horribly there. This is the <laughs> second episode of season one. Um, that's okay. Yeah. They'll get with it. It's the just the theme song right now. Ernest von Gunther. Um, so I would call the TV, I want to say Tuesday nights. Could okay. wrong about that. It's like, I get the TV eight to nine. Woman. So like, how old were you when this came out? Do you remember? 
I think I must have been seven or eight, maybe. Um, original, oh, actually, no. Original air date, 11-7-75 for the pilot. Right. So I was two days from my birthday, and the Ooh. pilot came out. This episode, this was like um, six months later. This was um, April of 76. So I would have been five years old. That is about a year and almost a year and a half before my older sister was born when this episode debuted. I'm really just the only one who makes me feel old. You're welcome. Um, The beauty of it is, John, is I will always be younger than you by a significant margin. And this makes me feel better about myself. And I appreciate you doing that for me. Excellent. I hope to always light the way for people to make better choices than I did. <laughs> so so it's set during World War II is this season one. And I'm just curious, like, what is, so was this, were you reading the comics um, by the time you had started watching this or did this come first? I think this came first by a couple of months, and here's really? how I sort of know this. Okay. So what DC did when the TV show was placed in the 40s, comic book was taking place in the 70s. Right. Once the TV show took off, actually switched over to Earth 2, and um, then the show, the like, and the show took place Um and then, okay, so fun fact, I'm going to stop. The twirl, she's that. doing her famous twirl after the first oh, scene the in the office where anyone could walk in and see her. Yes. Now, this twirl, now, first of all, you notice the bracelets aren't there. Yeah. Um, but this twirl um, only took place in the first three episodes. Reason being, it was so expensive to do the stop motion photography and to do the special effects. They, um, after. I like that the federal episode, penitentiary has no name other than federal penitentiary. Sorry, just the. It's no, that's okay. It's, it, I'm sure they saved a lot of money printing the signs at Staples. Um, well, I mean, you used to work at Staples, so you would have did. an idea of that. Yeah. Did. Um, Before I plucked you out of there. The first three episodes, Swan, the pilot, and Osta, Nazi Wonder Woman, which was literally the title of the third episode. Those were the only ones that had that stop motion spin. Wow. And yet it's become so iconic. Yeah, so they did the spin in the later episodes, but it just had the explosion over it. Oh, wow. So it's it's like any great TV show. You spend your money on the first episode or two, and then you're like, well, we've got them hooked now, so we can start trimming back. So then what was, when was your first Wonder Woman comic after this? Um, was later on that, this year, um, Trevor had just come back from the dead had dyed his hair from blonde to black, was no longer going by Steve Trevor, but was going by Steve Howard. So wait, so this is 76, 77, you're saying, or? Yeah, this is 76. Uh, when, when you read the comic, I mean. I first read the comic. 
so who is the who is the creative team at that point? I'm trying to remember. Um, I want to say, I mean, I can pull, I can pull the issue, um, but I think it was Marty Pasco writing it, and oh, Marty Pasco was drawing it. Jose, oh, that's gonna bug me. <laughs> I love that the lasso of truth is literally just a string that they made gold, that they like painted gold. Oh yeah. Oh wow, General Blankenship. That is my new Reddit name right there. That's what I'm gonna call my account on Reddit when I post in like the Am I the Assholes forum. It's General <laughs> Blankenship. Boom. Right then and there. Wow. I'm telling you what, Steve Trevor just delivering it with a lot of force. I appreciate so, the really forceful like dialogue here. Yeah, one of the things I love about this show, especially the first season, was besides the portrait of Abraham Lincoln in the general's office that we're seeing right now, in General Blankenship's office. Um, So everybody in this show Mm -hmm. is being very over the top and campy, except for Linda Carter. And it somehow, it really is like one of those things, you know how sometimes you see it a theater production, you're like, I don't know what show that person was doing, but right. everybody else is doing a completely different show. This is kind of the same thing, but it really works because her performance really grounds it, makes it a bit more real and a bit more human. Well, I think also, I think also there's an argument probably to be made, right, that because of the costume she's in, the circumstances she's in, she doesn't have to go over the top. There's already so much working in that favor for her, right? Like she doesn't need to, and I, I think that it's a nice juxtaposition. It almost shows her otherworldliness, right? Everyone else is freaking out, going over the top, and she's finding a way to stay calm and resolute. And uh, when the men around her are losing their heads, she's staying cool, which, you know, is, is a very cool juxtaposition and shows her power over the others. I'm trying to remember what my first Wonder Woman comic was. It had it was a graphic novel because I didn't start reading singles in earnest until only a few years ago when I was starting when I was with Valiant. Um, so I think it was probably the first Wonder Woman read I had was probably the Hikatea. Um So. And then I would just, because I came to comics so late, like I, Forbidden Planet is where I can say I really dove into comics before I started working there, but it was in college when I came to New York. Like my dad and I would go to a shop every now and then, like we'd go to Fat Jack's and like walk around, but I wouldn't really buy anything. Mm -hmm. Um, My uncle used to buy me a couple comics here or there, like he bought me Death in the Family, the issues when Jason Todd is killed. And he bought me Death of Superman. And he said, save it. This is going to be your college fund one day. And uh, boy, <laughs> that didn't work out. But um, so it wasn't, there was a really, really, really um, attractive girl down the hall that I really liked. His name is Samantha Sharon. Um, and uh, she was reading the weekly series 52 and was talking about it. And I was just like, oh man, I need to start reading comics so I know what the hell she's talking about. And this will give me a conversation. 
and I'm just not the guy down the hall, just like, oh, you're pretty. So, so that was it. That was, that was what got me in there and to, to start reading. And Forbidden Planet's really where I did most of my shopping. Forbidden Planet and Amazon and Javier over at Forbidden Planet um, gave me my first recommendations. Okay, so just, just to circle back, I looked it up. My first yes. episode of Wonder Woman, my first issue of Wonder Woman. Is Wonder Woman volume on two twenty September of nineteen seventy six, which would have meant that it would have been released um, four months previously, August, July, June, May. Um, mm-hmm. It was written by Elliot S. Magan. It was penciled by Jose Delbo. Wow, two names I don't know that I've ever actually heard. Oh, Jose Delbo drew Wonder Woman for years and years and years and years. Did he? He did. And as a matter of fact, um, I was not working for Valiant. Um, one of my coworkers, one of your coworkers who I knew was going to a convention where Jose Delbo was. And I was like, can you get me a sketch of Wonder Woman? And um, it turned out that the person didn't end up going to the convention so I never got my Jose Delbo sketch um someone who was very lovely and sweet I'll I'll tell you the person's name later okay also did that dude just get murdered by a wrench did and first of all well he didn't get murdered by a wrench he just got knocked out he just got knocked out oh it looked like a murder also part of this series is this this episode is they're trying to frame Steve of course they are what is fascinating to me, though, is that like that long shot of Linda Carter trying to run in heels in those heel boots. That is not an easy thing to do, I imagine. It is not. If you really want to see them running in heels later in this season, um, Linda Carter and um, Deborah Winger as Drusilla slash Wonder Girl run down concrete in heels very, very fast. And I don't think they sped up the film. So I just want to give a shout out to. Oh, and there are the bracelets though. Yes. We finally have them. Steve isn't waking up. Uh, As a time check, we are at 11 minutes and 46 seconds right now. So now you and I have had this conversation a little bit, um, and by a little bit, I mean a lot. Um, what is your favorite run, not issue, what is your favorite run of Wonder Woman comics? Okay, so I don't know that I can give you... This is why I want to put you on the spot. Um, I can tell you... Um, the the runs that I think people should absolutely read. Um, Shortly thereafter, Diana Prince. I do love the title cards as the uh, as the comic book um, captions. I think that's that's very fun, and I appreciate it. they really embrace the comics influence on this show in a way that's really really smart. I mean, yeah. this is this is. It feels like it's being aimed a little bit more at a younger audience, for sure. Um, 
But go ahead. Your favorite run that you don't favorite want to say. Run. Okay, so I choose can't between pick your children. One, but I would say, um, would say the originals, the William Molston Martin stuff, which is Wonder Woman issues one through twenty-eight, um, for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, um, they are. crazy um, in the best possible way. Because people always talk about the the weirdness of the Silver Age, like when Superman got the ant head and Batman had the zebra costume yes, and all did. of that stuff. That kind of thing was happening back in the 40s for Wonder Woman. Like <laughs> they were literally just going, oh, it's just- The boys just had to catch up. Yeah, um, as usual. Um, well, I think what's fascinating. I think what's fascinating too is just looking at Marston's story. Is he was consulting with young women and female writers at the time, wasn't he? In terms of developing the voice of the character, was and there was also a woman named Joy Murchison who was um, would often do the plots, and she would actually do the the scripting. Um, That was so, the third in his relationship, though, right? No. There no, was okay. him, um, his wife, Elizabeth, and then Olive Byrne. Right, Olive Byrne. Okay. Um, oh, this is actually um, his kid um, kind of is a stand-in for all of the, um, generally the young usually young boys, though sometimes young girls, that Wonder Woman kind of mentored and was always kind of helping them figure out, you know, for the boys, she was always kind of like, hey, girls are just as good as you. And for the young girls, she was saying, you don't have to be second place. Um, this, there are some things that happen in this episode that they lifted directly from Marston's stories. Um, um, I also want to say I believe that everyone should read both of Greg Rucka's runs on Wonder Woman. Oh well, without um, question. And um, that, that first Rucka run is probably my favorite run um, that I've yeah. that I've experienced. There is still so much more Wonder Woman I have not read than I have read. Let me be very clear. Um, I've only dabbled in the '60s stuff. I've only dabbled in some of the '70s stuff. Um, very very little. And by little, I mean like two or three issues probably of the original Marston run have I read. Um, but, but yeah, no, I, the, the first Rucka run, especially the, uh, the Gorgon storyline with Medusa and her being blinded is just, I, I mean, Drew Johnson was the Wonder Woman I thought of. Um, oh, yeah. His take on the character. Shout out to Drew. He was the first person I ever got a commission from at comic book conventions. Really? I, yeah, I think it was Denver Comic Con 2015. Um, and it was, I, I just saw that he was there. I think I, I literally like uh, just on the, the guest list in the program. And I realized it was him. And then I walked over to his table. And I think it took three tries before he was actually at his table. 
Um, and I met him, I introduced myself, I said, hey, I work for Valley Entertainment, so nice to meet you, I'm a big fan. And he gave me a Wonder Woman, not gave, like I, I paid him uh, for Wonder Woman. I have it framed in the uh, spare bedroom in my apartment now. Lauren let me frame that one and put it up. So. Oh, love it. And so, um, it's so great. You've seen it. I know you've seen it. I know I've seen it. Yeah, Drew, Drew Johnson is um, desperately, desperately wanted to buy a page, a very specific page. And it's on um, comic art fans. And the person lists the for sale status as you will have to pry this from my cold dead hands. Is it is it the page you and I have always talked about? I think it's like yeah, it's, issue, it, was it issue 209 or 219? Um, you can look this up. So John and, um, I, John and I's favorite page of Wonder Woman of all time um, is the same one. And it's during this... Uh, incredible storyline uh written by greg rucka illustrated by drew johnson and this is probably what mid 2000s uh the mid aughts decade and it is wonder woman in full badass battle armor um preparing to do battle and um is is it the gorgon storyline i'm trying to remember the gorgon storyline it's it is she's, before she's, she has the big fight it is issue 209 it's 209. She's getting ready to go face Medusa. And um, ah, the line's something like, um, Let it come. Let it come. They're yeah. Supposed she's supposed to fight at dawn. They're supposed to fight at dawn. And they're talking, they're trying to talk her out of it and the dangers of it. And she just says, uh, you know, uh, regarding war and the fight and the dawn, just let it come. And it's the most badass single page ever. And uh, we have, and I talked to Drew when I got the commission. I tried. I'd see if it was still for sale. And he was like, no, I sold it for like a thousand bucks to a dude. I was like, damn it. Um, it was years prior. So so you found it. It is on Comic Fan Arts. It's amazing. Um, ComicArtFans.com. Hey, can we just stop for a second and talk about the irresponsible parenting that's going on here? <laughs> of letting your child just walk around. In, it was the 70s. Well, no, it was the 40s. There was so much irresponsible parenting in the 40s. Um, just look at my grandparents and look at your parents. So, Oh, uh, I mean, my parents were like, I mean, they were not, you know, there was a lot of in my day and age. It was like, go out and play, come back before the sun sets. Sure, you used to trust your kids to go out and do it. You didn't, and you didn't, you weren't scared of the world in the way that people are now, right? Like, they're you know, you didn't think your kid was going to get kidnapped. There was no cell phones. There was no way to contact anyone either. Um, but it didn't matter. You were just like, yeah, go out and play. I I did not have that. <laughs> By the time I, in the early 90s, when I was a wee lad of five and six or seven, I was not allowed to do that at all. My parents wanted to know where I was every second of every day. So, And I was too scared to go outside the house on my own anyway. I was just scared of everything. I do love the costumes on this show. Oh, yeah. They did a great job rifling through some costume departments, World War II uh, outfits. It's really, really good. Second wonder span of the episode. Slow-mo, stop-motion photography. Now, I'm just curious, too. So what's fascinating, too, is like this is at a time 
just in terms of history, civil rights movement 10 years prior, the gay rights movement comes, the women's right movement is in full gear at this point in time. You're talking about the Equal Rights Amendment. And then there was a lot of questions about is Wonder Woman a relative, a relevant role model for women in this day and age, even still today? So and yet. is ultimately the kind of, and I am speaking as a cisgendered male, so I'm probably not most qualified to discuss. Neither um, of us are most qualified to discuss. Let's be very clear. We'll give that... The thing we'll that's interesting real. to me is because the idea of feminism and the idea of women's rights changes so radically kind of each generation, um, you sort of have to kind of retell your woman's story. And what happens is you know, the women who were sort of spearheading the feminist movement of the 1970s, grown up reading Wonder Woman in the 1940s. So when people are like, it's not relevant, sort of using a historical context, you're looking at things that were published, you were 10 and 12, are no longer relevant when you're in your 40s. Well, and you even saw like Gloria Steinem put Wonder Woman on the first issue of Ms. Magazine as the cover. Which um, I have. I own. I would be shocked if you didn't own a copy of that. Um, and I, I, as I recall, that was a major, a major stamp of approval of saying, to your point, like this was a strong female archetype uh, when Steinem and women, you know, who were part of this movement had growing up was Wonder Woman. Uh, and, and it's I think also, yeah. I mean, if you look at superhero archetypes, you have Superman, I'm going to use the three characters who've been around the longest, which is Superman and convert, and, you know, you could compare that to Captain America, which is people who are saying, I am standing for what the ideal of America should be. Mm-hmm. Um, you have Batman, who's very much about our dark impulses, our desire for revenge, our desire to um, right wrongs. Uh, and then you have Wonder Woman, who is very specifically about wonder, about women's empowerment. Um, and so, you know, you're dealing with this idea of, this is perhaps one of my favorite lines. Couldn't find her way back to the cell block. Because <laughs> talk about irresponsible wardenness. Just letting people <laughs> own your prison. Okay, so um, sounds like the governor on Walking Dead in season yeah. two or three. Yeah, sure. <laughs> I don't remember what we were talking about. I'm sorry. I just I no. Just we were talking about kind of the the archetypes of the DC Trinity, as it were. What's fast? What's always fascinated me about it too is you look at Superman. Superman. If you were to take Superman of the Siegel and Schuster days, um, Superman would be considered far left liberal today. He dealt with poverty. He dealt with social justice. He dealt with unions. He dealt with um, 
you know, fighting against the mafia. He was against um, government oppression and big government. Like he, he, he was the underdog fighting for the common persons, for the average Joe's rights. And in addition to also being woefully ignorant to the uh, havoc and collateral damage he would cause in people's lives. Yeah, well, there's um, actually one, I think it's either the second, third, um, it's very early on in the Superman stories. He actually traps a bunch of um, the wealthy and robber baron class in a mine. Yes, he did. How dangerous it is. I love that. I love that story. Conditions. Yep. So yeah, anyone who says that comic books aren't political doesn't know their comic book history. They've been political since they started, since 1939, as far um, as superhero comics go. Like, they're if, if you don't want politics in your comics, find a different medium. Like you're, you're reading the wrong one. It just doesn't exist. It has always been there. It will always be there. And it's important that it is there. Um, you can agree or disagree with the politics. That's fine. But it's always been there. And from say, the big ones. From the big ones. At the very top of it. Literally the first cover of Captain America. He's punching out Hitler. That's not political. It's a politics that we can all get behind. Punch a Nazi. Sure. But... <laughs> But it's still political. I don't think there's, I can't think of anyone um, who would actually not be more than happy to punch a Nazi. Well, probably the neo-Nazis are, are not so thrilled about it. Unless they get mad at each other. Yeah. But, um, wow, that is a one hell of a red cloak she's wearing. Yeah. That um, is a very like Handmaid's Tale sort of outfit long before the Handmaid's Tale. Um, <laughs> uh, Bit. Um, so, a little history of the Baroness and Gunther. Um, she was kind of, actually, I think she may have been the first repeat villain who wasn't a costume villain. Um, she used a lot of um, gnosis and mind games. There were a lot of slave girls. There were a lot of bound, you know, bound women. Um, and then um, she was also uh, later on became um, formed, saved Wonder Woman. Um, and You're talking about the they, comics now, by the way, just for listeners. The comics. Yeah. All right, just making sure. Sorry, just to clarify for the newbies on here. Uh, and she was kind of the first, I think, really in the Golden Age, the only formed Wonder Woman one. Um, eventually becoming an Amazon and, um, you know, getting a whole new face. And daughter was, uh, she was working for the Nazis because they had kidnapped her daughter. Um, and it's a little history on Paula The old trope of uh, blackmailing someone by kill by kidnapping their child. Um yes. We see it so often in comics. Do, do. Heck, but, you know, for, sometimes for, uh, for the upcoming for the upcoming uh, uh, showcase series that you and I are doing, I think we both mm -hmm. ended up using that trope. Um, yeah, we did. We did. We really did. Which we we may have to reexamine that. Ah, but it's comics, and they're very different characters and different timing and. Um, 
I don't know about yours. Mine's very true to the comics itself in that one. But, but it is, it's a, it's a very well-worn trope. Kidnap the child to blackmail the parent. Um, the parent just can't simply be evil. Oh, but I think there's a lot of, um, a whole lot that goes into the sort of fairy tale um, of comics. Um, you know, there are old parents and step parents, and you know, the, the, you know, there's entire comic characters in both DC and Marvel and everywhere. Children are rebelling against the parents by being good. Um, oh, go going as far back into it. I mean, I'm a big fan of Greek mythology, and we are watching Wonder Woman. The the Titans are killed by by Zeus and the Olympians. Like it's you know Zeus is feuding with his children. Hera is kidnapping his his uh, bastards. So it's you know it's it's well trodden territory. Thousands upon does thousands a lot more of than years. just kidnap them. Uh, yeah, she does <laughs> do a lot more than just kidnap them. That's true. Um, uh, those Greek myths are not something you want to read to children at night unless they're sanitized. They're version. really not. A lot of consent issues also in Greek mythology. Lots of consent issues. A lot of consent issues. Very problematic. Very problematic. Um, a a uh, factor, you know, a, you know, a, a manifestation of the times they were in, I'm sure. But... Oh, here's one of these things that I don't understand about this episode. Only Excuse one me. of these things? Oh. There's a lot I don't understand about what the heck's happening here, but I'm going with it because it's oh, moving at a pretty good pace. I've also been waking up a storm, and I apologize for that. But, so no, see, no, no, no. They don't listen. They can't hear the episode. They can only hear us talking. And we are 30 minutes and 57 seconds for those of you who are keeping track. Oh, the um, Hound of Baskervilles. This kid is already my favorite. Well, that's, yeah. He, he wants to be Sherlock Holmes. That's why he, he does want that to be Sherlock. I just um, wish he wasn't wearing that stupid, you know, hat, but that's okay. And again, back to the bad parenting. Oh, <laughs> go outside and play in the prison yard. <laughs> a lot of questions. And not only that, but he's even wearing colors similar to a prisoner is this small child. It's like, it is. this is hilarious. And, and you know, uh, here is a woman who is a Nazi. And there she's just like, just wandering around Gen Pop. Not a problem. <laughs> I um, love that this, this small child is taking care of the golden lasso, too. Also, it's just like, yeah, that makes total sense. Uh. So that's one thing that I don't understand about the episode. Other thing that I don't understand about the episode is... So Steve has been accused of sabotaging the, um, the war effort. And instead of like, you know, a military tribunal or a judge and jury, literally letting a billionaire munitions killer um, decide whether or not Steve is guilty, which is incredibly fascinating to me. I don't think they were really going for accuracy. Oh, Just my no. guess. That's one of the reasons that I, I love them. This is the, That's a bit of a narrative shortcut that you just have to suspend your disbelief and you're hoping that the um, six-year-old boys in uh, outside of Boston are not going to question. 
<laughs> the way in which someone is court-martialed. Um, Although uh, I'm Lynn and say, the movie and TV show where someone is supposed to be stealthy are really terrible at it. They're pretty awful. Uh, I will I will argue that point on a few shows. Um, I, I actually think the Americans do it very, very well. Um, that show is fantastic for its, its depiction of espionage. Um, and if you've never seen it, John, I cannot recommend that show enough. Um, I will watch it. But in general, yes, a lot of, well, it also depends on how you're doing it, right? Like I, I don't think Charlie's Angels was ever really giving a shit about whether they were being stealthy, covert. They were just like, let's get more TNA on here and Farrah Fawcett's hair. Uh, yes, there was a whole um, phrase for that show. Was well, Jiggle TV. Jiggle TV. Oh, I have heard that. Okay. Um, but even even go to like James Garner on the Rockford Files. He wasn't real. He wasn't real stealthy as a sleuth. Columbo was not real stealthy. Um, like even those private eyes just never worked. They only seemed to really start caring about it when you got into this platinum era of TV and people actually started. The audience started becoming more sophisticated and being like. That would never work. Um, I, I will say, you know, again, I, the fact that he's kind of arguing his case in front of someone who has nothing whatsoever to do with the judicial system. Nope. Nope. I don't understand why he's pleading his case to this Nazi. I don't. I'm curious what the books are on his table, though. I don't know why. That just popped in my brain. I'm one of those people that I just get stuck on something that probably doesn't matter at all, but then I want to know everything about it and understand the choice that was made and why and what went into it. But I like to know everything about everything. It's a real problem I have. I can um, tell you. So having worked in bookstores for a very long time, fashion companies literally just go in and they buy things that are pretty. There is no rhyme or reason. Makes sense. It makes sense. It's, it's all about the aesthetic. Them. Yes, they do. <laughs> I mean, don't get me wrong. I've done that with furniture for like stage shows. <laughs> I have absolutely bought a desk from the container store and returned it. Um, I've bought fans and small tables from Bed Bath & Beyond, and I have returned them after the show is done because I did not want to shell out all the money for it. And I'm taking advantage of the system. Um, Bath & Beyond and container store it's been years since i've done it does that make it any better no no okay it's off off broadway what can i what do you expect me to do i don't have any money to start with no i totally understand budgetary issues so here's my big question to you sir mm -hmm. as we are in uh we only have about 13 minutes left so what was it about Wonder Woman at such a young age that struck a chord with you and endeared you to the character for so much of your life? Okay, so there's a lot that goes into this. I'm, I'm aware. That's why I'm giving I, ourselves 13 minutes. Okay, and I also want to make sure that we see this one particular scene now because it's genius. Everything about it is genius. Well, we can um, we can we can pause your story when it comes up. You'll yeah. you you're running this at this point, so 
So um, he's really he wants his child to fall out of the tree. Is he going to fall out of the tree? I hope he falls out of the tree. Um, no, but there is some um, wait child endangerment. Oh. So you know, um, the the child endangerment episode. So uh, there's many things that I love about Wonder Woman. Um, so um, as a as a young as a young person, you don't really get, didn't get in the 70s when I was growing up, sort of an education on what um, sexuality and sexual orientation and gender identity and all of that are, just are generally quite aware from a young age that there's something um, that is different about you and you don't sort of maybe understand what it is, you just know are constantly bombarded with images of and love stories of mommy and daddy and you know boyfriend and girlfriend you don't see what's happening anyway that being said wonder woman always was she wasn't a punch first person the way batman and superman was it's a very different character her idea was not i'm going to protect you I'm going to get revenge for you. It was very much about if we were all kind to each other. World up oh, at a candy alert. If we were I love all what we did with Betta. In in Wonder Woman Spirit of Truth. I'm very proud of how we handled Betta. I feel like that alone, I feel like our arguments about that alone are probably deserve a, a their own episode. At some um, point, I'm sure we will do one. Yeah. Um, but no, I think I think ultimately you were were right about that. Oh my but God! I, we have this. We have it recorded now. The world is going to hear you. The world can, in theory, hear you say that I was right about how we developed etiquette. I, I also believe we were. Um, I also believe that it was part of a. I will do this if you don't do that conversation um absolutely this was it was absolutely you're going to give me etta and i will give you the fact that we don't kill steve trevor so, <laughs> my um, father taught me how to negotiate and and i i appreciate him for it but um <laughs> but getting back to wonder woman and the influences back to that um, yes so talking about she was she was a force that said if we're all kind to each we're other we're all just kind to each other if we all just accepted each other, then the world would be a better place. It is very, very important because there's sort of two schools of thought, which is I like you in spite of, I like you even though, and then there's I like you because. Oh, love this. This is, I had no idea this was not how the world worked. Oh, this. I didn't know that Wonder Woman could do impressions. Oh, yes. Um, she does impressions, but this is how this woman is looking up. Um, this is how she's looking up. And there's no alphabetical order to that. There was none. No, she's going through this box of, of cards, this Rolodex, and it's, it's not an actual Rolodex, and it's not in any discernible order, and that is maddening to me on several levels. Um... But yes, uh, there's acceptance and there's these statements in spite of or because of. 
because of. And I always felt like Wonder Woman would say, I like you because you're different, because I'm different too. Um, and she really, you know, they, the comic book characters are very male dominated. Um, it's a very, um, you know, the characters are very much primarily men. Um, Wonder Woman's kind of the only. Sorry, this scene is hilarious. Um, she's yeah, broke. She's 41. she's come into the room. We're at forty-one minutes and twenty-two seconds. Um, she's just been level with some knockout gas, but she comes in and Gunther is wearing a smoking jacket with a glass of champagne. It is. We were expecting you. Um, hysterical. But yes, well, it, it is a fascinating thing where Wonder Woman that type of acceptance. And I think that you've, I think that comics, especially even in the last, I'd say 10 to 15 years, there is an inclusion with comic books that is sometimes underrepresented in other mediums, right? Um, you look at stories involving non-binary characters. You look at stories involving interracial relationships. You look at stories involving abuse and issues that just aren't with in a lot of other mainstream sources. And it's it's an amazing community, an amazing medium that really is willing to embrace doing that. Um, which is one of the reasons I, I love the industry so much is that there is a comic for anyone no matter who you are, no matter how you identify, no matter your upbringing, no matter your taste, there is a comic that will speak to you that you can. And that's Absolutely. extraordinary. That, and also, um, I think also the important thing with comics is that you know, there's two sides to that, which is there's a comic for everyone. There's a comic to identify with. It also makes also a very universal story form of storytelling. Yes. Um, you know, people sort of look at it as, oh, it's kids and it's action adventure. You don't get emotionally involved just because things are blowing up and people are getting punched through buildings. You get no. emotionally involved because you actually care about the characters. Yes. And the idea that people sort of never, um, the idea that comics don't, deal with very universal and very powerful and very visceral emotions, um, I think is one of the things that people who don't read comics never really understand. No, I mean, to you know, one example that always comes to my mind is um, Action Comics 712. It's the story through Crypto, who is, you know, the super dog, um, created during that time when they had a super horse and they had a, you know, they were going like crazy, the super ape and the Superman comics. But in issue 712, Crypto is uh, looking for his owner, Connor Kent, who was Superboy and had recently died in the comics. And the entire issue is about a dog who doesn't understand that his owner isn't coming back. And it's heartbreaking and beautiful. And if you've ever owned a pet, or suffered a loss of any type in your life, you will tear up. You will get emotional reading that book. And it's so simple. There's no explosion. There's no, there's barely any dialogue. 
you know, from him going around and hearing conversations. There's almost none. It's practically a silent issue. But universally, it gets me. And I'm not even a fan of Connor Kent that much. But, but damn, I, I, it reaches you. And that is a traditional superhero title that people very easy to dismiss. But it makes you feel something. Yeah. Um, I will, I will ease you, um, uh, almost the in, entire run of Gotham Central as well. Oh, um, absolutely. Where, you know, it's ostensibly about police officers and dealing with corruption and that type of thing, but it, it very much is about beef and powerlessness and feeling that the can't handle the larger things. Oh, Steve, so, poor helpless Steve. Poor helpless Steve. I love that though. I love that Steve is helpless and she is the rescuer and she's protecting him and uh, it's great. But uh, for those of you listening who've never heard of it, Gotham Central is a comic book published by DC Comics. It ran for about 36 issues um, in the early 2000s, written by Greg Rucka and Ed Brubaker, drawn by Michael Clark. It is probably the single greatest um detective series in the history of the genre of the history of the medium excuse me um cannot recommend it enough go out of your way uh to buy that series okay there's so here's plug. another reason that i want to um i wanted to oh i with this episode if you go to the later episodes of the season first three episodes the pilot this one and the um the, uh, oh my god, she's attacking her and they're just rolling down a hill. Fight scenes are very different and I it's, don't know if they were choreographed by a different person or what it was, but it's very fascinating to It's literally just it. these two women rolling down a hill together. Um, and Wonder Woman becomes much more Wonder, in the first three episodes, Wonder Woman is much more of an offensive fighter. Uh-huh. She has to be. She doesn't, she's... Oh, now lassoed into the pool. Um, but in the later episodes, she becomes much more of a defensive fighter. Um, and it's really sort of fascinating just from, you know, as a very old person. <laughs> Looking back and you can, you... It may not have been a difference that you noticed when you were a kid and watching it, but now you recognize it. Perhaps now you'll appreciate it and learn from your unwomanly mistakes. Oh my goodness. Well, it's also fascinating to see the evolution, right? Because you have George Reeves Superman in the 50s. You have the Adam West Batman in the mid '60s, and now here in the '70s, you get Wonder Woman, and that kind of fascinating sort of progression through the decades. There was a DC character in each decade that really made a mark um, culturally on television. Fascinating. And in the '80s, you had the short-lived Superboy series. So, and you had uh, Lois. You would what? Oh, Lois and, Lois and Clark was the early 90s, yes. Okay. 
Well, uh, oh yeah, no, no, because Smallville was two thousand one. So yeah, you didn't you didn't have it. In, I don't think there was any other DC. Well, in the nineties, you really had the um, uh, the Batman animated series cartoon kind of transcended. Being and you a had the John Wesley ship. Uh, yes, you did. Which listen, that they I I cannot give the Berlanti Guggenheim crew enough of how they've embraced all the versions that came before. My one complaint with Crisis on Infinite Earths, that crossover, is they did not bring in Linda Carter, Woman, Wonder Woman. How dare they? No. I, um, will say, I will say this. And the episode has ended, ladies and gentlemen, just so you know. Oh, yeah. Um, we, have, we have reached the end here. Matthew watched his first episode I of did. The Woman, the TV show. Because John is the sole writer for our season two adventures that we're going to be sharing with you guys very, very, very soon. John, I cannot wait for folks to listen. So I'm going to give you the honors, my friend. Um, what wonderful quote from Wonder Woman to sign us off today. Um, okay, so I'm going to go to the pilot episode um, of Paulita saying goodbye to Diana as she flies into man's world. And she She says, go in peace, my daughter. Remember that in a world of you are a wonder woman. On that note, good night and good luck. Remember, keep your ears open, put those buds in, and please, don't sleep.